Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In this episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Don Sevchik. Don Sevchik, the founder of Math Celebrity, has revolutionized maths tutoring with the fastest maths tutor on the planet. With over 8.1 million users in 233 countries, Math Celebrity provides instant step-by-step solutions to math problems, boosting confidence and eliminating math fears. Featured on major networks, Don's platform helps students achieve an average of 150 points higher on the SAT and 3 points higher on the ACT. In addition to his impactful work in education, Don is a prolific author of three books that offer invaluable insights on growing and automating businesses. Hi, Don. Good morning. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out and showing interest to be a part of the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Our pleasure, Don. Don, uh, my first question, open-ended, a light question. Uh, what you're doing, Matt Celebrity, very interesting, very unique, the fastest tutor on the planet. But can you walk us through your journey up until the point you founded mathcelebrity.com. Sure. So about 16 years ago, I was working a day job as a programmer doing Excel, PHP, things like that. And I got frustrated with the review process. So, you know, if you work a corporate job, you get every year, they go through the reviews for the team and they decide, are you going to get a razor bonus? And if yes or no, how much? So there would be times that me and my colleagues would have a really good year on paper. You know, the feedback would be there. But then the raise and bonus would only be like between 3 and 5%. And so some of the projects we worked on, we'd be saving or helping the company get millions of dollars, but we'd only see 3 to 5%. So I got frustrated with the, uh, I, I call it the, the carrot and the stick. You're always chasing the carrot and you never catch it. So I decided, why can't I branch out on my own and make some money on the side? So I decided to math tutor a couple people off some tutoring sites in person, you know, near the Chicagoland area in the U.S., Anyway, long story short, one student turned into two, two turned into four, four turned into six. And it was going well, but I ran out of time because I was, you know, I was married. I had a day job. I I just, I couldn't scale it. So I wanted to help more people, but I couldn't figure out how. So meanwhile, back at my day job, we're working with a team in um, Gurgaon, India, to help them. They're going to help us build a, uh, a program to calculate pension plans for U.S. pension members. And anyway, our management sent them like a 300-page book, and it just wasn't, it wasn't making sense. So right. I had talked to the team in Gurgaon, and I said, look, why don't I build a spreadsheet? And in the spreadsheet, it shows the formula to calculate the pension, but next to each cell, it shows the math. So in cell B2, if you type a number, it'll show the math behind the answer that you get. And so when I t- showed the team in Gurgaon, they were like, oh, my God, this is perfect. I can follow it step by step. I don't need to read this 300-page confusing book. And so when I saw the reaction, I thought to myself, well, wait, the light bulb went on. Why can't I do this for math tutoring? And so that's how the, uh, the idea for Math Celebrity was born is, why can't I take my knowledge of math and my programming shortcuts and speed, put it on a site, and then somebody who needs math help can just go on there and get the help that they need? Great. Uh, how long uh, did did it take for you to uh, get Math Celebrity up and running from the time of ideation, Don? 
when I started, I don't, I didn't really know much about web programming. I was more Excel VBA based. So I got, there's a programmer that I was uh, friends with who, who worked in Prague and he was, he was a genius. And so I asked him, here's what I'm trying to do. Can I pay or get a little help? And anyway, he got me far enough along where I could, uh, be, be dangerous, but not, not really, uh, too good. So I got, I got a basic calculator up it was a little JavaScript calculator. And then I got the next calculator up, the next one up. And so for one or two years, we maybe had anywhere from like five to 10 people a day. So it, it really wasn't a lot. And I didn't know anything about SEO, didn't really know anything about marketing. But over time, what happened was a few of my wife's friends and a few of my friends started asking me, look, you're spending a lot of time on this thing and you've never really talked about it. What is this thing? Tell me more about it. And so when I showed them, the site was ugly, but I'll never forget. There was people that were very critical of any idea. And when they saw it, you could tell by their body language, they saw something was there and they're like, I think you got something here. It's going to take work, but this is, this could change everything. So as we started building more calculators, we went on a couple math help tutoring sites and we asked permission. We just started posting links like, Hey, Oh, you need help with uh, sequences or, or fractions, like check out this calculator and we get feedback. We make changes. Right. So in year three or four, we started getting 50 to a hundred people a day, but the real breakthrough came in year five or six. And what happened was we, I, on Google analytics, I ticked this little button that says like, tell me every search ran on my search box at the top of my site. And so what I do every night is I read, I review those searches and it would tell me any problem that a student or parent ran that did not work, meaning our algorithm did not uh, realize it, it would send me a list at night. I would try to build as many of those as I can, and then the next day we get a new list, mm. and then we rinse, repeat. Well, imagine doing that every day for five, six, seven, eight years. Wow. By the time we hit year seven, we were getting two million visitors a year, and we didn't spend a dime on traffic. Wow. Okay. So that was, that was yeah, that was the second breakthrough we had. Great. And up until this point, you were still uh, working full time and this was still a side project. It is. In fact, it is still to this day. But uh, wow. OK. Yeah. Oh, it's still a side project. So and we, you're still doing your full time work. Yeah, I mean, I could I could probably walk away soon, right. but uh, I'm able to balance both because I may have maybe getting some help coming in. What's nice about the site is it's automated, which means if I stop doing anything, still do most of what I want. I mean, I'm always trying to improve the algorithm right. and do more stuff and get it faster and smoother. But yeah, it's nice because it's fully automated. So, I mean, I could I walk away for two weeks on vacation, come back and everything's good. Right, right. Got it. And how long did it take for you to get your first paying customer done? We got it in year five. And honestly, we do pretty well from ads, but we also get some revenue from licenses. I, I wrote a few books, but then we've also kind of branched out into SEO and automation consulting because the number one question we get <clears throat> from parents besides math help is like, how did you do this? Right. How did you automate the business? How did you get all this traffic without having to buy ads? Right. And so as I wrote books and explained it to people, a couple of people asked me, look, would you willing be willing to do some consulting and and get me up to speed. So it's been nice because Math Celebrity's almost been like a launching pad for consulting, books, right, right. and podcasts and things like that. Great. So Math Celebrity itself, you don't look at it as a platform where people come and pay. So whatever I can hit, I can input any number of questions for free. 
Yeah, so we've got a free and a paid plan. The free is kind of like Google, where if you want to run a math problem or math problems, we'll show you the work. But premium, you can upgrade to no ads, quiz generators, practice problem generators, and then an ACT, SAT, like white label test prep platform. So that part's paid. And then we've also had a couple people ask us to start doing like one or once or twice a week called office hours where we would be on Zoom and then they just come to me with questions because... When they run math problems, the algorithm's great, but there's a chunk of people that want that human touch, right? They want that reassurance. So we're going to start doing that probably late summer. Got it. Uh, And I saw that, you know, it said this helped students score 150 points greater in SAT and three points greater in ACT. Is this more like a supplement to people who are teaching Uh, SAT and ACT or is this a standalone product by itself that students can make use of to crack SAT and ACT? Math Celebrity is more of a supplement but the ACT SAT premium package is the full full shebang so you get instruction you get quizzes you get assessments you get feedback on the assessments you get it's audio video and text lessons so some people like to learn their their listeners like me, right? I love podcasts. Some people are visual learners right. and some people want to see static text. So what's beautiful about this is it gives you all three, it gives you a lesson in three different formats, text, video, and audio. Right. Got it. So uh, are there SAT and ACT test prep trainers who use uh, your platform for their teaching? I mean, there's a few that have come in. They also use my site, but but a majority of the people that use it are just moms. Our, our wheelhouse is moms with kids that are either sophomores and juniors right. that are getting ready to make the decision for college. But now some of them are even starting earlier, right? Because competition has gone up. So if you look at the if you look at the savviest students, right? Mom and dad are starting to get them to think about ACT in freshman year, right? Right, because. There's something called the testing effect, and there's been mountains of data on this. But what we found is you can be, like, let's put five people in a room, right? All in the same grade, all the same background, all pretty much the same sort of education. But if you get two of those students to take practice exams over and over and over again, they will consistently outperform the other three. And why? Because if you grasp the concepts at a lower level, math is a cumulative subject, which means if you fall behind in seventh grade, you're going to fall down a deeper pit in eighth, ninth, 10th, and 11th. So we found with our platform that if you use the testing effect, if you just keep taking practice tests three, four, five times, eventually it's going to get, it's going to get embedded in your subconscious, but also it builds your confidence, right? Because even if you score bad the first time, it's not a live test. So over time, you're building up that that wisdom and that uh, mental muscle. And every time somebody takes a test, the system creates new questions? It shuffles some of them, and some of them are repeats. But the beauty is, even if it's a repeat, it forces the student to think about what they did wrong. Because the ultimate right. goal of the testing effect is, first time you take the test, maybe you get a D, right? And then you write down... We call, it, we call it reducing the gap. So that's one of our uh, benefits of our platform is I, I take the test the first time I get a D, right? There's 15 things I didn't know. I write them all down. Right. Then I go study only those things. I don't study anything else. I go back, take the test again. This time right. I got a C minus. The 15 things is down to 11. Take it again. And eventually 
over time, you're going to, you almost want to see repeat questions because if you see it two or three times, you're going to, you're going to reach mastery. And so that's why we love the testing effect. I think it's a big benefit. Got it. Got it, Don. Don, uh, you spoke about, uh, you know, writing books and I'm sure it's got to do with marketing, but um, how has it actually worked out for you? Like was uh, writing a book uh, came about after you started this platform and, you know, somebody asked you something about it or uh, you thought it's going to like parallelly help you market this platform? How did you, uh, what did you, uh, you know, have in mind when you wrote the books? The first book was almost, uh, I got the question so much. How did you get started with Math Celebrity? How did you do this? How did you do, do that? <clears throat> and, I, and I'm good with telling the story, but I felt like if I put it in a book in a paper format and just take you from day one to day now, it really told the story. And so I wrote the book. Half of it was my story and half of it was just all the shortcuts, tips, and tricks I've learned in math to help moms and dads save time with their, with their kids. And then the next book came out because I got so many people asking me, how did you get 6 million, 7 million, 8 million visitors and you really didn't spend any money on traffic? So the big compliment we get is, and, and, I, and, I, and I did this because when I used to write on LinkedIn and Quora, I would get feedback of, I really like that you write at a fifth grade level because you're not writing like a CEO who's trying to sound smart. It's something that everybody at any grade can understand. And so that's one of the things we've been proud of. Right. It's almost inspired us to write more books, right? Because I know how frustrating it is. You want to learn something new, you go online and there's this big, huge guide and it's impossible to follow. Right. Versus if you take little chunks and just lay that out in a book format, people seem to appreciate it. Got it. Got it, Don. Don, you say that, you know, these three books that you've written, it helps people grow and automate their business. So it need not, you're not talking necessarily about a business that is related to education. You're talking about any business in general. Yeah, exactly. So this SEO book and the LinkedIn book give you plenty of automated tips or shortcuts to grow your traffic and your social media following. Like by nature, I'm incredibly lazy, right? And I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that. Right. So because I'm so, I have a lazy mindset, my, my first thought goes to, if we have to do something, can we automate it? Can we, can we delegate yeah. it or can we do it in a better way? And so as we worked with business owners and, and people that I've consulted with, the big thing is just tell me how to do it or if I'm doing it, can I do it faster or easier? And, and, and that's how we lead now is if we've got to do something, what's the psychology behind what we're doing and then how can we do it faster and cheaper? Got it. So, Don, most of our listeners, we expect them to be aspiring uh, teacherpreneurs, right? They're all teaching right now. They're teaching various subjects. They're teaching for businesses, bigger businesses or business academies. But at some point, they want to get on their own where they have their own students and, you know, and then probably they expand and hire more teachers. So if you have to, you know, share some of these concepts uh, from them growing and automating their business, what are the, some of the things that they you, you would suggest that they follow? First thing is come up with, and this is a mistake I made, so I hope this saves your users years of time and many headaches, but first thing to do is not even think about a product. Go think about your audience. So if people are, if you've ever heard of the big Silicon Valley companies here in the States, 
one of the things they pioneered mm-hmm. was something called the the minimum viable product, right? So instead of spending right. thirty thousand USD on an office and business cards and logo and, and lawyers, and you're going to come up with some product. Most entrepreneurs, the biggest mistake they make is they build something and then try to fit it to a market instead of finding a market and then getting a product to fit it to. Now, that's the first step. The second step is you really got to get inside the heads of your potential customers. So what age are they? What do they read? Where do they hang out? And most importantly, and I still make this mistake to this day because I'm, I'm too focused on the product is. You got to remember, you're not really selling your product. Like as a math tutor, you're not selling tutoring. You know what you're selling? You're selling certainty. You're selling peace of mind. You're selling hours back in the day from a student having headaches cramped over their math book. But remember, the student most of the time is not the buyer of your product or service. Mom and dad are. So mom and dad have a whole different set of concerns separate from what the student has. First of all, mom... If the student does bad math class, it doesn't just affect the student. Mom, mom goes through an emotional process too because when she goes out for wine with the girls or coffee after the gym and she's with two or three of her friends, they're eventually going to start talking about their families and their kids. Right. And do you have any idea how embarrassing it is if one of the moms is sitting there and she said, yeah, Junior failed the math class for the second time or they got a D minus on algebra. Now, if the two or three other moms are hanging out with have even decent math students, maybe they get C's, she automatic, the one with the kid who got a D automatically feels left out, almost like a, an outcast. And if you focus on these emotional points like that, and also the shame and the guilt, I mean, imagine I'm, I'm a parent of two kids. If my kid's struggling in a subject and I don't find that, like maybe I don't know how to solve it, but if I don't find the help, Within a few weeks, I, I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel like I failed as a parent. Right. And so if you get inside the psychology of who's your buyer, right? What do they do? What do they think? You're going you're gonna to speed up and fast track your success way more than just focusing on the product. Automation's great. Creating a product's great. Being an entrepreneur is an incredible journey of self-discovery. But one of the biggest parts of self-discovery is what you're really selling, and it's not math tutoring. Great. And uh, okay, so you said identifying the psychology behind what people feel and, you know, probably uh, hit their emotions. So let's take an example, you know, a maths tutor for this for the exact situation that you mentioned. Uh, you're saying forget the product, uh, first find your audience and then, you know, you're going to be reaching out to them, right? Uh, you're going to be pitching to them. Is that what happens next? And if it's going to be pitching to them, what is what would you suggest that they the kind of language that they use? If you if an entrepreneur has an idea for a product or service, the fastest way to test it and save yourself headaches and money is go buy about twenty five dollars. Write write an ad for your product or service. Don't even create a product. Right? You could just I have an idea. Think it'll work. Let's go test it. Instead of doing what I did, and I made this mistake too, is go write an ad for your product or service and pretend that ad is the only time your pro- your, your customer is ever going to see your offering. They're never going to meet you. Let's pretend they never heard about you. You have one shot at this. What kind of ad would you write? And then you spend five, if you have the budget, $5 a day on Facebook to drive somebody to a landing page 
to either watch a video about your product or give it a test drive. And you can tell within two or three days immediately, is there interest? And the beautiful thing about this is your ad may do well, but maybe they didn't click through on your landing page. Well, you know you have interest, right? But you're not communicating the value on the landing page. Or maybe nobody clicks your ad. So either A, it's the wrong audience, B, the ad's not good, or C, your product and service idea is just not viable for the market. But again, if you do this early, early and often, you can get an idea spending only a couple hundred dollars. Do you have a product or service that people are interested in? And then if you do, what you do is you go back and you can use either AI or tools like Quaya. I think it's spelled Q-W-A-Y-A. And you can run 25 or 30 different variations of a Facebook ad for the same product. Facebook will go and unit test that, right? And they'll run, they'll run their AI in the background and they can tell eventually there's going to be one or two clear winners. You use the winner and then you start over with 25 or 30 more ads. And by the way, what I'm telling you is not new, right? The, the top players in the game are using this. They just have a lot more money. So the, the lesson here is never assume that somebody wants to buy your product or service. The only vote in the market that matters is if somebody clicks on your ad or your email and they either buy your product or service or they opt in. Can you please repeat that uh, tool that you said, uh, Don Q? Yeah, Q-W-A-Y-A. It's called Quaya. It's a Facebook A-B uh, ad testing tool. Wow. Okay. Okay. Got it. And uh, you're saying, okay, you started off by saying $25, but then you're saying worst case, a couple of hundreds of dollars is what you need to spend even before you work on your product to see if it works or not, right? And uh, and uh, what's your what's your call to action going to be uh, for that sort of a testing ad? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What was that? What's your call to action going to be in each of those ads? Oh, I got you. Well, that's another thing you can test, right? Is you can drive them to a landing page. You can drive them to opt in on email on Facebook, which is cheaper, right? Because you're not leaving Facebook. You can drive them to a fan page. Uh, I, I found personally, if you do micro commitments, instead of asking for somebody for money up front, right. see if they'll give you an email, see if they'll watch a video, right? If they, if they watch a video, they've taken a small step towards you. Right. Because at the end of the day, there's, there's you and your product and service. And there's that moment where they pull out their credit card and buy. And then there's your prospect over here. And it's called closing the gap. Right. What needs to be done to get your customer to take a step towards you? They don't have to take a leap, but just a step. If they take enough steps, they pull out their credit card and buy. And if you do this right, they will pull out their credit card and buy over and over and over again. And if you do it really well, not only will they buy multiple times, they'll go tell their friends to buy. So it, it's it's a constant A-B test. It's a journey. And um, the original question is just the call to action should be tested. Think about what you want them to do. And maybe your ad is perfect, your product is dialed in, but you're asking too much up front, right? So just maybe get an email, have them watch a video and see what happens. Got it. Don, I want to uh, put forth a question uh, that, you know, since you're talking about A-B testing and stuff, this is something that we discussed a couple of weeks ago with another person. Uh, now, pricing, right? Now, let's say we take a same product there's absolutely no changes. Same product, you package it differently, but inside it's the same. 
you give a certain amount of pricing to this product and then say 10x the pricing to another product. So um, it doesn't matter which is going to sell sell more. Uh, you are not going to be uh, able to decide up front because what's going to decide is the way you sell it, right? From what you're saying. You can sell the same thing for 10x also. You can end up selling the same thing for one-tenth of that price as well. So it all depends on how you position and your ads and stuff like that. Is that correct? Uh, can we uh, say that is possible? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So you can have two entrepreneurs with the exact same product or service and almost the exact same ad, but one of them charges maybe 50 bucks and one of them charges 50000 So I was just on the yeah, phone with yeah. a coach the other day. Um, and th and this, they told me a great story, which gives a better answer than I ever could to your question. And that is three years ago, this, this guy was selling $100, $200 products using Facebook ads and, and Facebook groups, things like that. And over time, he right. tested stuff, right. learned more about his customers, all that stuff. But he said the biggest, the biggest shift that got him from getting consultants or, or, or clients at $1,000, and now he charges $100,000 if you want to work with him for the year, $100,000 is wow. his, his mindset. And he says, I always struggled with asking people for that amount of money on the phone. But he's like, once I stopped struggling and realize it as an exchange of value and treated it like no big deal and detached from the sale, by the way, that was another huge lesson from, from some of the top players is you have to be able to walk away from the money, right? You don't, if you cannot need the sale, it gives you incredible power. And it's counterintuitive, right? Because we're all like, I got to sell my product or service. I got to make the money. No, no, no. It's coming from a place of intention, but also value. If you know your worth, you ask for the money, right? And if they if they get upset, great. Like if you if you don't need the money, that's no skin off your back. So when he he said, I couldn't imagine three years ago asking for a hundred grand. He's like, now I do it once or twice a month, and I get it. So great, it's possible. It's just boils down to your mindset, and you know you just got to go ask and find the right people. And maybe if you, so can I go back to the uh, first point? You said, uh, you know, first forget your product or your service, go find your audience, right? And um, here's where there could be a bit of a back and forth. Now, first, you're not thinking about the pricing at all. You're only looking at the people who could use your service. But then those audience can again be split based on how much they can pay you. Right. So do you uh, do you also keep in mind the premiumness of what you want to offer and then go uh, build your audience or how does it go? Well, you bring up an interesting question about how much they can pay you. You'll find and I, and I used to fall into this belief, too, that <clears throat> a lot of people don't have money. They won't spend. They won't buy. But when I see the best salesmen operate, I have seen people. I've seen a salesman give a presentation on stage for 60 minutes for a, for a decent product, right? But they connected with all the emotional values. They hit all the pain points. They dug deep into the emotional wounds that people have to solve, to solve a problem. Right. They finished the presentation, and there have been people who have been in debt, meaning no cash, no cash in the bank, okay. no job, that, that have ran to the back of the room to spend $3,000 
getting credit or a credit extension. Wow. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that instead of choose maybe food or medicine? Because if you position your product right and hit the right emotional triggers, your, your customer or prospect will do way more than you think you'll do. And again, this goes back to limiting mindsets. If you told me yeah, even six months ago that there's people out there that get on one phone call, one phone call and ask for a hundred grand and get it for, for a coaching service, I would have laughed. Now I, I'm not surprised that there's people asking for a million and they get it. So a lot of this, and I forgot, I believe it was Dan Kennedy. I don't know if you haven't read his books, he's, they call him the godfather of marketing and copywriting, but he had a line on one of his seminars, which blew my mind. He said, the only difference between you asking for something like $50,000 and a client paying it is you have to keep a straight face when you ask for it. You can't, you can't attach a big emotional value to it. It's just, it's $50,000 and you have to stay level. You have to stay almost grounded in your emotions. Because again, it goes back to if they don't buy, right? If they want a problem solved and it's valuable, it's $50,000. Now, again, you have to look at money in terms of it's relative for everybody. $1,000 for, say, somebody in a very struggling country is incredible. But if you go get that to a Silicon Valley millionaire, that's pocket change. Right. So you have to tie, you have to tie the money in terms of what problems are you solving and what emotional levers are you pulling? Because again... Emotions drive the sale. Right. You Towards the end of it, you touched upon, we started off by talking about how much would people be willing to pay. And then you said, that's not a question. That's a wrong question is how I take it and go. Because you don't worry about that. If your product is sold in a certain way, people are going to buy irrespective if they have the money or not. Now, uh, we kind of concluded this um, that answer, uh, you know, by... Uh, talking about sorry can you please repeat that last thing that you said um, the silicon I just lost my uh, train of yeah so a thousand think of money in terms of, of it's, it's a relative concept it's subjective see people attach people hear the word a thousand dollars and they think ooh well a thousand dollars to somebody in Singapore who's a multi-millionaire or Silicon Valley with multiple profitable companies that's pocket change right they, they give that for a tip at dinner maybe even more. But if you take $1,000 to say the Eskimo tribes who are poor in, in the States, that means a lot more to, to them than it does to the Silicon Valley millionaire. So instead of thinking in money, think in terms of value. And, and oftentimes as entrepreneurs, and, I, and I'm guilty of this every day, is we underprice our service or our product. And we, and we assume that people would never pay X for what I'm doing. But then when you look around at the top players of the game, look at sports, look at book sales, look at celebrities, look at the best entrepreneurs, they're charging astronomical rates. I mean, I was just on the phone with an entrepreneur the other day, similar to the one who charges a hundred grand. And he's like, I charge embarrassing sums of money to do things I love. And all he does is write ads. He writes ads to get people to drive him to landing pages or to buy products. He does nothing else. And he gets paid incredible amounts of money. Why? Because for an entrepreneur that maybe makes a hundred thousand USD before that guy comes in, one ad that that guy writes may bring him to a million. How much is that worth to you? He may charge that person two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but guess what? Even after paying them, he is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars richer. So, 
Think about it, $250,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to what you get. So I like to, the, the metaphor I love to use is think of an ATM machine. And if you, if you do your business right, you put your ATM card in and maybe you ask for, you, you have to give them $5, but it spits back $10 back at you. Why wouldn't you buy that, right? You buy that on every day that ends in Y because you put in a dollar, it gives you two back or three back. So thinking thinking money in terms of subjective and what you get for value and the emotional hooks you're pulling in people. Yeah, got it done. So this is, so I, you know, thank you for uh, helping me out here because uh, whatever I lost, I think I got it back. So we started off by, um, you know, addressing, don't worry about how much your audience are going to pay. But then when you ended that uh, thought, you also said it's about attaching the the balance between the value and how much you charge for it, right? Uh, so is there such a thing? Because it has to be, right? Say, for example, um, you spoke about this entrepreneur uh, who writes ads and uh, if the person who, who was selling a product or a service was getting in $100,000 and because of this ad, if he's going to get a million dollars, $250,000 is not going to mean much. So is that information important before you price your product or that intelligence about that particular domain? It's not just what you charge. It's the, it's the, it's the perceptual value that your customer gets. So I'll give you an example. If... Right. Somebody is struggling to get married, right? They're, they're just having struggles, finding a mate. They've tried everything. They've tried changing their clothes, their haircut, where they hang out. Just nothing's working, right? Right, right. And somebody comes along and helps them out and finds their dream spouse, right? Let's project mm. this into the future. So they, they find their dream spouse. They start dating. Things are going great. That person makes them a better person. They eventually get married, have two or three wonderful kids, build a house and a family together. And it all ties back to that one dating coach who flipped their mindset, right? And, 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 and turn them in a different direction. How much money is that worth? And the answer is you don't know. In fact, it may almost be limitless because without that one event, that person may have never found a suitable mate. So you have to ask yourself when you charge, here's another example. If you charge $1,000 for coaching or consulting, right? And the client gets value out of it. If you haven't tested $2,000, you are doing both you and the client a disservice. And when I tell the story, people think I'm crazy, right? Because it's like, well, they paid $1,000, they got the value. What if paying $2,000 put more of a value on your product in the client's eyes than paying $1,000? And by that, I mean, if they pay $2,000, are they going to pay even more attention an emotional strength toward what you're telling them than if you did if it was a thousand. So what I mean is, one of the best quotes I ever heard is, "You, I charge because people won't pay attention to free stuff. So think about a seminar. There's two seminars, exact same information. One's free, the other you pay 2,000. Which one do you think you're going to take more notes and ask more questions at? The $2,000 one, right? And you're automatically yeah. going to subconsciously attach more value to the 2,000. So you're doing a disservice if you don't try to charge as much as humanly possible. If, if you try to charge too much and the value's not there or the emotional hooks aren't there, they'll tell you no, they won't buy. So this is, again, something you got to test. But the big lesson here is 
get out of the mindset of there has to be a set value for what I do because honestly, none of us know, right? You may have one person out there and a thousand clients that pay you a hundred times what your average client pays because it means that much to them. Right. I'm starting to think this can uh, totally be held true for services only. Am I correct? Products, yeah, to a certain extent, but largely to services, can we say that, Don, or am I drifting off here? Well, services, consulting, but I mean, I think we pigeonhole ourselves if we say people wouldn't pay X for a product. Sure, we can charge $25 for a SaaS product, but what if we go enterprise level? Because if we look at value in terms of the amount of problems solved times the number of people we've helped solve them or the size of the problem times the number of people we've helped solve that we can get exponential value if we take the same SaaS product to like a Fortune 500 company. So I think we need to think in terms of impact, problem solved, time saved, all of that. So I think products, you could still raise your price ceiling and not have to, maybe they don't pay it, but it's it's definitely worth something, te- worth, uh, worth testing. Because if we get into that mindset limit of they'll never pay X for this, then you'll never know, right? That's right. Okay, Don. Uh, so let's, let's, you know, take an example or, you know, like a hands-on stuff here. Let's say, given that most of our listeners, we expect them to be teachers or course creators, because after having listened to you, definitely a lot of people's minds are going to get racing, right? Because everybody who would have been thinking about, oh, you know what, I'm only teaching this, my product is only this course, this is what it's selling on Udemy, I won't be able to sell it. I'm sure at this point in time, people are going to forget all that, and they're going to charge whatever they want. But let's say there's a there's a listener who's got a course idea, whatever it is, he's trying to solve a problem for somebody by creating a course, a pre-recorded course. And now, and you know, he's just got this idea, let's say, and he's not even creating that course. Where does he start off? You said first test your product, create your Facebook ad and stuff like that. Could you dive a little bit more deeper and probably lay out, uh, you know, actionable steps here on a high level, of course? Yeah, I mean, start with not just the problem you're solving. So we could take math tutoring, right? Because that'll apply to your audience. Right. The, the, the beginning entrepreneur says, I can help people get with math tutoring. But what, what are you really helping with? You have to think about what you're really selling. We're never selling our product or service. We're selling something else. So in math tutoring, you may be selling math help, but right? But what does the math help get them? Think in terms of what they get both Time-wise, functional, and emotional is the key. If a kid who got D's and was bullied in school now gets B's or A's and those bullies turn into friends, how much is that worth to the kid and the parent? That's subjective, right? right? And there's a lot more value in there than we assign to just math tutoring. But let's take this a step further. Suppose that same student is in a crowd of 200 applying to get into Harvard. And because of the math tutoring skills that you gave him on the curve... He gets just a high enough score to get a half ride or, or, or accepted into Harvard, right? What's the value on that? Let's take it a step forward. How much more money 
and let's call this person Bob, right? So Bob gets into Harvard because we could tie it back to the math tutoring. What happens when Bob gets into Harvard? He's probably going to get a lot better job offers, financial, bonus, vacation, opportunities. But remember, there's an emotional benefit to going to Harvard or Yale versus another school who can teach you almost as well. And what is that? It's the network. When you go to schools like Harvard, Yale, Oxford, you're buying into an elite network, right? So we now we get into, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs of, uh, of emotional acceptance. So we all have a need to be accepted at a certain level. Now, if the math tutor expands this from the test they helped the student all the way out to the money, the connections, the conf- think about confidence, right? Right. We all want to be considered competent, confidence. So we're really not selling math tutoring. We're selling a better life. So you have to you have to think about what dream or what future state are we selling and sell from that point. Got it. So you're gonna be writing an ad that makes the the prospective buyer imagine those things, and that's what is gonna connect them with your uh, value proposition. Uh, that is that comes down to writing a copy like that. Now let's just talk about testing and validating. You said roughly about twenty five dollars to two hundred dollars. Let's take the upper limit. That's two hundred dollars, right? Now, what what should happen after you spend two hundred dollars in terms of you know if you can give some numbers? for you to say that, okay, my product is validated. I can go ahead with this, my product or service. If you run Facebook ads for, and again, you don't have to do this even on Facebook. You can get up in front of a group of people that may be interested in what you have to offer. Give a presentation, make an offer at the end, see if one person comes back. If there's interest from one, there's probably interest from more. That's your test. So we face. We could think in terms of platforms like Facebook, but also get up on a stage, go talk to some people in your network and just pitch the idea for two, three minutes. If people say, oh, I, you know, I guess I could see that, then there's not that emotional oomph, right? But if somebody asks you, wow, that's pretty interesting. Where can I learn more or how can I get started or tell me more about that? They've given you permission to move forward. If you get that kind of, and on Facebook, the permission is, did they opt in? Did they message you? Did they, did they click to watch a video? The test here is in a hundred people. And, you, and you, so you got to pick a target market and maybe your target market's off, but in a hundred people, can you get one person to show interest? I mean, that, that to me, that should be the minimum 1%, right? right? Can you get them to show interest in a video in a group and even in a product or service? Got it done. So, uh, we are not even thinking about the pricing at this point in time. We're just seeing if there is interest. And then we go back to your idea of, you know, you price it, whatever you want. It boils down to how you sell it for you to be able to sell it. Uh, Don, uh, I, I just can't help myself asking you this question, right? Because of the kind of topics that we've discussed and you said uh, you're coaching clients uh, you, you, you know, you shared a couple of incidents about your coaching clients. What is some of the most, unexpected things that are being sold as we speak today for an unexpected amount of money. 
Is there anything that you've come across like that where you've been like, oh my god, I can't believe you're selling this for this much? <laughs> That's an incredible question. So the first one is it, this goes back to Dan Kennedy again. Dan Kennedy was on a I bought one of his products or service, and on the webinar he tells the story. He's big into uh, horse racing with the little uh, what do they call it? I don't know if it's like bucket racing, but there's a little vehicle in the back that the one person sits in and then the horse pulls them on the on the cart oh right yeah. but anyway they have yeah they have trainers that come in to tend to the horses right they clean them up they they file down their hooves they you know they optimize their nutrition and so there was this one trainer that dan kennedy talks about that says that just had almost like a sixth sense with the horses right so they'd come in and sometimes the horse would be depressed or wouldn't feel like running in this and this Woman trainer would come in and talk to him, pet him, comb him. And then all of a sudden, like the horse would just come alive and they would pay her lots of money. I think he said sometimes she charged like five, ten thousand dollars to come in for 30 minutes and get the horse's emotions up. So that blew my mind. But then here, here's where it gets better. The lady decides I'm making a lot of money. I don't want to keep coming to the horse track. Right. I want to go on vacation, live on my farm. So how do I scale this? So one, she tells one of her clients, look, uh, I know you need help, but I'm going to be out of town this weekend. And the client says, is there anything you can do? She's like, put the, put the phone up to the horse's ear and I'll, I'll do what I do in person. And I kid you not, she did this. And then her other clients started asking her to do this too. And she, I think she's made her, her net worth goal about four or five times over from, they call her the, the horse whisperer. But, but the fact that she was able to sell them on putting a phone up to to whatever chance she does, whatever she tells, and the horse responds, and these people pay it, is mind-blowing. And now when I think about this from our conversation, I think, why would people pay that much? And the answer is, well, if you lose in the horse race, that's you got shame, right? It's or, or guilt. You spent all that money on the horse, they didn't win. But also, how does it look in the eyes of your peers, right? If you win, if you win the race or get second or third, you're on that platform. You get your photo taken, you get it in the news, there's bragging rights. So there's more than just tending to the horse. But then we go a step further, right? Some people love to tell you that they had the best math tutor or the best coach or the best horse trainer. Well, the lady that did this over the phone knew she was the best because she got the feedback. So she was able to use that leverage of, I can help you, but we're going to do it my way, right? We're going to do it over the phone. And she was able to command those fees. So this goes back to the value you think your product or service has is subjective. Got it, Don. This is uh, this has been great. I mean, it's very simple. It's also, you know, mind-blowing. But you got to keep at it and a problem that definitely can be solved. Uh, and as you said, it's just, uh, you know, it just boils down to mindset. Uh, like you, you know, shared an example in the start, you know, where there's a salesman who's doing a 60-minute presentation, a, pe- a person who's in debt maybe goes and, uh, you know, makes the money that he needs. Don, uh, I, I think uh, I would uh, consider this as like one of the most key things because no matter how much we talk about course creation, tools, people teaching and stuff, everything boils down to selling, finding students, um, you know, validating and stuff like that. So I think this coupled with all of the podcasts, I think completes that entire thing because pricing has been one of the most um, gray areas 
you know people some people tell you know what you price it very low sell high but then you know some people say price it high just sell it to a few people it's all the same and stuff and there's always a never-ending debate when it comes to that but i think um it doesn't matter low or high i think if if you if you believe you are you're offering that much value and i think one of the most important things is keeping um I, but i i i don't think this is going to work unless you believe it right because you said you got to be grounded keep your face straight and then you know you got to say it like as if you've been doing it for so many days or you believe in it completely so yeah it's value but it's also you have to think of selling as a transference of emotion now i'll give you an example of this cuz i love testing this stuff cuz i'm tr- i'm constantly trying to fix my weaknesses and improve. So I, I, out here, I go to Chipotle for lunch a lot, right? They got burritos, they got tacos. And I've been to 10, 15 Chipotles in around my neighborhood. And I I tested this. So I said, tomorrow I'm going to go into Chipotle. I'm going to walk right up to the manager and I'm just going to smile and say, Hey, how's your day going? Same clothes, same me, same time of day, same everything. And I did that. And then he was telling me about the day. I asked him a few more questions. Didn't, didn't expect anything. This goes back to grounded energy is you be friendly, but not expect anything from the exchange. What happened was he ended up giving me a free burrito. And then the next time he gave me a free drink. And so I continue to come in, say hi, smile, maybe say hi to the staff, not expecting anything. Pretty soon this guy invites me to go come to the Chipotle job fair to interview future Chipotle employees. And I, I laughed and I asked him why. He says, because you're the exact type of person we want feedback from, but also because I trust your judgment. But why would he say that? He's only seen me a couple of times and only, only exchanged a few words. And I can tie it all back to smiling. Being present is huge, right? Because with phones, we get distracted so much. This is a lesson I've learned. If you're present with your prospect, just be present. Listen, be genuinely interested in what they have to say. And you may disagree with what they have to say, but if, if you're present and grounded, right, and, and you make people feel a certain way, you will go so much farther in sales and marketing than you ever will if you just focus on the product. I, I can't stress this enough. It's, it's a transference of emotion. If people get a good feeling around you, and even if they can't explain why, they're going to want to be around you more and more and more. Great. Uh, this is, you know, very important because whatever we've spoken so far comes across like you know a couple of people talking about how to fool people but i think um the last point that you mentioned here uh whatever we discussed in the beginning is discussed assuming that you know given that whatever that you're offering is actually something that you are offering with extreme conviction and extreme uh sincerity if you probably, you know, go out to trick people and fool people and, you know, just try and uh, exploit this situation, it may, it may not work. But even if the same thing, if you really believe in and if you go in and do it, uh, it'll work. So it's a it's a pretty organic thing. You need to really believe in what you're doing unless until that first thing is there. I don't think you're going to be able to do uh, any of the rest of the things is how I'll take it from what you said. The last point about the Chipotle exercise. Yeah, and I think I, I want to make it clear that I, I don't I don't want anybody who's good at sales to fool anybody into buying a product or service that doesn't help them. Right. 
What I'm getting at though is that there's someone you can legitimately help. You have a product or service that can legitimately help them, but logical appeals aren't working. You have a duty and a service to help that person realize the benefit of your product or service. Because let's say the math tutor just pitched math tutoring, right? And didn't pitch a better, a better future because they got better grades. They failed, right? And they failed because they haven't pulled the emotional levers because now that person won't get the help. Right. They're still gonna they're still gonna struggle with math. So mm. when I say when I tell these stories, I mean we laugh about the horse, but I'm not telling that as a as a way to fool people. Yeah. We want we want to move people, but only move them if you have a product or service that's worth having. Yeah, it's like people are simply not getting the benefit of your product. Therefore, you are helping them visualize even more in detail, even more in future, what actually, if it happened, you know, you, it's just you're making it more vivid. I think at the core, that is what it boils down to. So if somebody is trying to, if somebody thinks they have something and they want to sell it, all the, the first thing that need to get to their head is, okay, what uh, what is the person going to get out of using my product? And just go as deep as possible after which, you know, as deep as possible and then kind of create that into words and sentences. I think that's a good starting point. Great. Yeah, I mean, you're not selling a product. That's I think that's one of the key lessons from the discussion we had is you're selling a better future. You're selling, yeah, yeah. You're selling time, right? You're selling time back, emotion saved, stress saved, a better life, all that stuff. Got it, Don. Don, uh... I'm I'm good with all my questions, but before we conclude, I just like you know you just gave this very interesting tool, uh, QWA Quia. Uh, now, given that you know, uh, if people are supposed to uh, test this entire system that you said, uh, if you can suggest any tools that's gonna make job make life easier for these people, uh, please. I mean, it'll, it'll it'll be really helpful. Yeah, besides Quaya, I would test all your landing pages. So if you're driving people to a blog or, or an opt-in page, I would A-B test that. So I, I use Unbounce for some of my pages. You could A-B test. They've got AI tests as well. But what you do is <clears throat> when you're starting off, you do two landing pages. Copy the first to the second and go after the 80-20s. So the 80-20s on a landing page are the headline, the image, and then the call to action. So just test Keep everything the same, change the headline, see how that works. If that works, then you test that headline against a new one. Once you think you have the optimized headline, go after the image. Then once you maximize that, go after the CTA. Right. And it works the same on Quaya, by the way, is there's really three things that move the needle, right, with Facebook ads. And, and those tools give you a way to test those quickly and easily. Got it, Don. Uh, Don, this has been a, an amazing mind-blowing discussion with you although i mean i've heard it a lot of times right i mean we we know a lot of things already but it's just that knowing the things at the right time makes a lot of difference uh, all i'm hoping is people who are listening even if a couple of them uh, are driven to action immediately i think uh, the purpose of this podcast will be solved and it was an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you thank you so much for taking your time out and giving your time um yeah. And uh, before we end, if you can share uh, your experience about being on this uh, podcast, I hope it was worth your while. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, incredibly grateful. It's always good to help 
fellow entrepreneurs. And I mean, if there's one takeaway from this episode, so you can avoid the many mistakes that I've made on my journey, it's get in touch with the emotional motivators of your customer early before you build a product or service. So instead of building something and trying to sell it, figure out what your audience needs and then build that. Got it done. Thank you so much for that summary in the end as well. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.